Yeah. Three C's, Mafia. Yeah. Whoa. Hey. Yeah. Whoa. Hey. Say what? Hey. Whoa. Three C's, Mafia. Whoa. Whoa. It's going down. Whoa. Hey. Y'all know what Whoa. time it is. Hey. We ain't playing with you. Hey. In the club. Hey. In the street. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to No BS, Season 3, Episode 9. I am your host, Trevor Williams, with Isaiah Leong and Furman Lee. Gentlemen, how are you doing tonight? I'll start with Isaiah. How are you doing tonight, my good sir? Trevor, it's great to be back on the program, man. I'm doing great right now. Uh, You know, went back to work the last couple of days, and feels good to be back, you know, working at Levi Stadium. I had been working there for like a whole year now so it feels so good to be back and then two weeks two weeks from tonight i'm gonna be going back to work with the a's so that's really exciting as well you know i've missed all my amazing co-workers there and i've missed you know my bosses and everybody there so i can't wait to go back but man it's just been it's been a great night man um you know michigan won their basketball game earlier today. I mean, there was a lot of fireworks that went down. Uh, we'll talk about that in our college sports segment. But Michigan, uh, they did their part. They punched their ticket to the semifinals. And then Ohio State, you know, I really wanted to see a Michigan-Ohio State Big Ten tournament semifinals. And we got it, man. Ohio State, even though they blew that 18-point lead in the second half, they came back in overtime. They regrouped. They battle back, and they punch their ticket to the semifinals. So here we go, man. Tomorrow morning is going to be lit. I'm going to wake up. The game starts at 10 a.m. I'm going to wake up at probably 8.30 or 9 and go to IHOPs or Denny's and get myself some pancakes with some uh, sausages and bacon and egg and a cup of coffee, get ready for the game, and then can't wait to sit for a couple of hours to watch Ohio State versus Michigan. This is the true game, Trevor. Forget the game in football. No, this is the true game. You got Michigan versus Ohio State. Winner goes to the Big Ten Tournament Finals. This is the true game right there. This is the biggest game of me and Steven's rivalry. I can't wait. Tomorrow just can't come soon enough. Isaiah, just don't jinx your team. That's all I got to say. If you jinx your team and like you've been saying, you don't fear Ohio State, you're going to maybe eat those words. But, you know, you have to, you know, watch what you say, my friend. And Furman, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing good, you know. Happy to be here with you two to talk about you know, a lot of the topics going on in the NBA as well as the free agency in the NFL. Um, yeah, there's not much. It's been a pretty chill week. And hopefully, you know, there's going to be a lot more news in the NFL. I'm really excited, especially um, you know, just looking at the new draft prospects coming out as well as you know, a lot of contract disputes, you know, team disputes amongst quarterbacks in the NFL. There's I feel like the NFL has a lot to talk about right now. And hopefully in the next few weeks, there's going to be a lot of interesting moves that will will happen. And yeah, it's very exciting, you know, free agency coming up and then also the upcoming draft is going to be, you know, quite a lot to digest, but it's a, it's a, it's a pretty amazing draft class. Can't wait to, you know, to check that out and see what happens. All right. Awesome. But before we get into our tonight's topics, let's, read some of our opening announcements. You're just giving everybody a heads up. We're doing an MI6 
March Madness Hot Takes Challenge Bracket, and that bracket will be relieved, okay, not relieved, released on Pi Day, which is, you know, Sunday, March 14th, so happy Pi Day. I know Isaiah's probably going to eat some pumpkin pie, because that is one of his favorite pies. If, he, if I don't see a, a picture of pumpkin pie on your Facebook page, I don't know, I'm going to make a comment on your post. I'm like saying, where's the pie at, Isaiah? Um... With that, we have a St. Patrick Day special on that Monday. So it's like, you know, keep rolling through our glorious week. And then we're going to be taking a little short time off. So from the 16th through the 19th, there will be no broadcasting on the MI6 Sports Network. And the reasoning is that is that our one-year anniversary is on March 20th. So we're gearing up, you know, everything we can for this one special occasion. So, you know, make sure you tune in for the one-year special. It's been you know, a magical ride, and I, you know, we wouldn't trade for anything else. But you know, make sure you tune in and mark your calendars so you can tune in on the MI6 one-year anniversary. So now, gentlemen, let's get into tonight's topic. We're in the world of the NFL. Just recently, you know, over the course of today, Cam Newton has signed to another one-year deal with the Patriots with fourteen million dollars for this contract. I understand it's a an increase from the nine million that he had earlier, but it's at the same time, are the Patriots just going to keep giving these one-term contracts for like every year? Or is it are they going to give him like like a solid extension where it's going to be like you know maybe a, a three to four year deal with the Patriots and growing and develop? Or is this just like a bridge scenario and just keeping you know keep him coming back? And it's like all right, you finished the season, now we're going to give you another contract extension for one year. But I want to go to Isaiah. What is your takes on this, like signing by the Patriots and having it like another one-year contract? Isaiah, you're muted, my friend. Man, how embarrassing! But uh, so my take on this is that I'm very happy for Cam Newton that he gets a raise, uh, even after a bad season that he put up last year. Um, I think that if I'm not mistaken, you know, Cam Newton threw for like the least out of all the quarterbacks in the NFL. He threw for the least amount of yards out of all of them. So that was not very good. Um, His season was garbage last season. Uh, But he was, I think, only getting paid like two, three million last year. And now he's getting paid 14 million so he gets like a 12 million dollar raise which is insane considering the season that he had i mean he threw for he played in um 12 of the 15 patriots games he completed 65 percent of his passes 2657 yards passing which is which was the lowest among all starting quarterbacks in the NFL, eight touchdowns and 10 interceptions, just a very awful season for Cam Newton. Um, I, so I'm happy that he gets paid, but for the Patriots, I think that this is a stupid move. I don't know why you would bring him back. I mean, Cam Newton looked like a shell of himself last season. He looked like, um, you know, if you put, if you gave Julian Edelman the football and let him play quarterback, I think Julian Edelman would have done better than Cam Newton. That's just how awful Cam Newton was last season. Uh, Cam Newton, he couldn't throw the football at all. He couldn't throw the ball with accuracy at all. Um, I think it had something to do with like his shoulder uh, injuries that he had suffered uh, prior to signing with the Patriots in which he had surgery for. Um, and then, you know, 
once in the second half of the season when teams figured out that he couldn't throw the football, they just stuffed the box. They stuffed the box and they stuffed the Patriots running game. They put a linebacker over the middle to watch Cam Newton to make sure that he couldn't run the football with, with his feet. And they made Cam Newton throw the football. When they made Cam Newton throw the football, it was just so cringe to watch out there on the football field. I mean, Cam Newton just looked really awful uh, when he was trying to throw the football. The Patriots need a quarterback that can hurt teams with their with his arm. You know, I know the fact that the Patriots, they don't have the greatest weapons in the world, but it doesn't matter, like, how – bad their weapons are if the quarterback just can't throw the football that's what cam newton is he cannot throw the football at all i would not have done this if i'm bill belichick i would have drafted like a mac jones or uh someone just someone in the draft or maybe trade to get jimmy garoppolo because i think jimmy garoppolo even though me and uh, you know, everybody else on this network, we hate on Jimmy Garoppolo. I still think Jimmy Garoppolo, he's still better than Cam Newton. I think he would be an upgrade over Cam Newton. I would have done that instead of, you know, re-signing Cam Newton to a one-year $14 million contract. It just makes no sense whatsoever. The Patriots right now are stuck in purgatory between Tom Brady and trying to find that next guy. And they just can't seem to find that next guy. And, you know, Cam Newton's not the answer. And I think with this move, the Patriots are signaling that um, I think they're heading for a rebuild. You know, I really do not believe that New England is going to even come close to making the playoffs next season. I know Bill Belichick's great and, you know, Josh McDaniels is great. And, you know, they have pieces coming back, but not with Cam Newton as your quarterback. You're not making the playoffs with Cam Newton as your quarterback. Yeah, I would counterclaim. I would counterclaim if, if the Patriots get, I would say, weapons for Cam Newton, then it would be a different scenario. But how tough that division is going to start to unfold itself. Because, like, you have the Dolphins. They're, like, it's sort of trying to figure them out. But the Bills are running away with that division at this point. If you don't give Cam Newton anything, like we just saw, like, he literally had to carry the team on his back. And it just doesn't work out. Like, yes, they have – decent running backs going up and down the field, which is not a problem. And then they have Julian Edelman, but it's like you can easily put two corners on him, and then it's like you rely on Cam Newton and his legs, though he can do it. But at the same time, it's just like it comes back to, like, you know, what Casey King says, they need to draft someone. And I think that's basically all they really need. It's like you have a veteran quarterback in Cam Newton. He's, he's been an MVP, a league MVP, and he's reached the Super Bowl. So he's definitely he can teach young talent if you want him to be in that role. But at the same time, he's still you can say he's past his prime, but it's like not really past his prime. I don't know how to really like really classify in that location where he's at in his career. It's like he's in like a valley. That's all I, I will say. Like he could rebound and do really well, but it just really depends up to him. But I want to go to Furman. What do you think about this, you know, one year contract? extension for cam noon for like 14 million should they just wait it for the draft or they should like sign him and get rid of him and get something else out of it i think cam newton's signing was definitely very questionable um i'd say it would be a good move to re-sign cam newton on a minimum veteran deal i don't understand why you know they, they the patriots paid him so much just to play back on their team for one year i feel like cam newton had a lot to prove last season and it just a lot of there were there were a lot of expectations for him but it, he just did not work out with the patriots offense and it was pretty clear that 
you know, given how their season turned out, it just did not, it wasn't the result that they wanted. So a lot of people are just, you know, talking about how bad their offense is. They have no weapons. They have no offensive line, et cetera. But Tom Brady did succeed under this offense in 2019, before the year before Cam Newton came over to the Patriots. He did. He had to deal with the same team, and they had a really good chemistry. They had good defense, and they relied on that heavily. And all Tom Brady had to do was just limit turnovers and make the passes that were you know needed to in order to make plays. And although the receivers weren't perfect, he still had the right made the right decisions to, to bring the Patriots back into the postseason and give the defense time to rest. But when I saw Cam Newton last year, it was a completely different situation. So Cam Newton is definitely very run heavy, and I think he relies on that way too much in order to propel his offense. And that just hurts the Patriots' offense even more since their weapons are pretty much non-existent now. Another thing I would like to mention is they do have Jacoby Myers, and in my opinion, he actually he played really well last year. One of the biggest surprises I've seen from him was when he played against the Jets and just he took off and had a really great career night. And you know that that made me lose my fantasy game too, or my fantasy week because Jacoby Myers just you know he just came out of nowhere and just scored a he had like two almost two hundred yards and just went off. And in that game, I just saw how much potential he had as the Patriots' number one receiver of the future. But at the same time, I saw Cam Newton. You know, Jacoby Myers had like 180 yards, one catching touchdown. He could have had like 250 yards and three touchdowns a game. But every, every single time he got open, I just saw Cam Newton throwing the ball. And every single time, like a lot of the time, he just kept overthrowing Jacoby Myers. So... In my opinion, that is not an excuse to, you know, write Cam Newton off of his bad season last year. He has to make better throws. He has to, you know, limit – he has to make accurate passes. He cannot overthrow receivers. He also cannot underthrow receivers that are, you know, that he's trying to get back from behind the shoulder. I see those issues a lot from last year. And also, you know, the, the way he played the 49ers, that already gave me the an even worse impression of him. So – I think it's not, he's definitely worth signing to give him one more shot if you fill him up with more weapons. Hopefully sign some veteran tackles, maybe like Eric Fisher, and maybe get some of these you know, wide receivers in the free agency. There's a bunch of these guys that you know, they're disgruntled with their team. If the Patriots pick up a good, decent wide receiver, I don't mind signing Cam Newton into like a veteran deal to give him one more shot at it. I think in my opinion, he doesn't deserve – that much amount of money that he got from this deal, this resigning. But as a minimum veteran deal, maybe with a few incentives for 2021, he could continue to kind of you know, ride his performances and continue to improve every week if that's the best case scenario for him. Yeah, I kind of agree with you on that, Furman. It's like it's really hard to see where Cam Newton fits into a lot of this picture for the Patriots and and it really, I want to say, it depends what the Patriots do in this draft. They give weapons to help Cam Newton, then it's like they're giving like a run for their money, I would say. But it's going to be very, very interesting. I think Ishmael really captured the best. The Patriots could get Emmanuel Sanders and T.Y. Hilton. And if they really go after those two guys, then Cam Newton could actually 
run, I think, the AFC West with the Bills, but it, it comes going to come back down to that Patriots defense. But if they get those two assets on offense, then, you know, they can go defensive heavy in the draft. Now the Patriots have just bounced right back. But I will go to Isaiah. What you got? I like the idea of adding Emmanuel Sanders and T.Y. Hilton because Emmanuel Sanders is a big body physical wide receiver that you just throw the ball up in the air and he can go up and catch the football. That's what you need. And also uh, for T.Y. Hilton, he's a deep threat. You know, he's a guy that can you can uh, line up in the slot and you can have him just run down the field and have Cam Aaron out down the sideline. And I believe that with that move, you know, you can stretch the defense down the field and also you can stretch the defense in the middle with a big body physical wide receiver. So I think both of those two guys uh, make sense. You know, those those guys are typical uh, Bill Belichick moves, uh, Jacoby Myles, Myers as well. But you talk about like, you know, uh, Emmanuel Sanders and T.Y. Hilton, those are typical Bill Belichick movies. You know, Bill Belichick, you know, I know he's got like a hundred plus million dollars in cap space, but he's a guy that doesn't spend a ton of money in free agency. You know, he always goes out and, you know, goes through the uh, the bargain bin to see what he can get in the bargain bin to, to get and upgrade his team with. So I don't expect, you know, Bill Belichick to really make a splash in free agency. That's just not his thing. So I I think the Patriots should just go with guys that have been recently cut by their teams, like uh, Eric Fisher, another one that Furman mentioned, that could really help their team moving forward. All right, gentlemen. Yeah, Let's us move on with our NFL topics for tonight. We have the Giants. We 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 don't don't we just love the Giants, gentlemen. So the, their GM, they're saying. There is no reason for them to look for another quarterback, and Daniel Jones is everything that they want. I personally say that is fine because that division is sorry. Eagles are trying to figure out, like, they just have Jalen Hurts. He's just got the helm with the Eagles, so they're trying to figure out that. So the Eagles are like, eh. And then it's like the Washington football team really doesn't have anything going for them, so they're out of the picture. And then if the Cowboys can get their act together – then it's like the Cowboys can win it, but they have so many injuries and things just don't work out. The Giants somehow win that division, and Daniel Jones is technically that guy to do it. Only the the only issue that the Giants really face is injuries. If they didn't have many injuries, like Daniel Jones is not a bad quarterback. Like I, when I first heard him when he got out there, I'm like saying you drafted him over Dwayne Haskins and all that stuff, but it's like his numbers are not that bad after I start looking at them, and he's just like. And I, I want to say he's an average quarterback, but it's like Saquon Barkley gets hurt. If imagine if he stayed healthy for a single season, what the Giants can actually do with that offense. But it's just like injuries really just hurt that organization. But I want to go to Isaiah. What do you think about this? Are you satisfied with Daniel Jones or do they need to get rid of him? Or is this a bridge quarterback where it's like they suck and they build weapons around this Giants organization and then they try to go get a veteran? to try to win something. I don't believe that Daniel Jones can succeed in New York. I really don't. And it's because it's not because of Daniel Jones's fault. I think Daniel Jones is a good quarterback. I don't think he's a great quarterback, but the reason being is because Joe judge, the head coach is just so freaking stubborn. 
He hired Jason Garrett, who is the most conservative offensive coordinator known to mankind. When you look at what Daniel Jones did uh, in an offense that actually let him push the ball down the field, an aggressive offense under Pat Shermer and Mike Shula, he passed for 3,027 yards, 24 touchdowns, and 12 interceptions in 12 games played. And then you look at this season, they change offensive coordinators they change all their offensive coaches and they go to a, a more conservative run heavy attack and daniel jones throws 11 touchdowns and 10 interceptions and 2943 yards in 14 games play let daniel jones air the football down the field that's where his comfort uh, comfort zone lies it. Let him air the football down the field. I know you have Saquon Barkley, who's one of the best running backs in the entire NFL, but Daniel Jones, he's a gunslinger. He was a gunslinger in college. He's a gunslinger. Let him be that gunslinger, and, and then he will have success uh, You know, in New York at quarterback. Imagine a gunslinger Daniel Jones with Saquon Barkley who can run wild. I mean, that's like, that's a dynamic duel right there. That could potentially be a dynamic duel. So I think that Daniel Jones, even though I think he's a good quarterback, I don't think he could be great because I just think the Giants offense is just way too conservative. And I think that right now, when you look at the New York Giants, I just don't believe that they're going to put Daniel Jones in the position to succeed. And I'll go, I'll, before I go to Furman, it's like the Giants could really – add extra things like we said earlier with free agencies with Emmanuel Sanders and T.Y. Hilton it's like you know they could go after them and actually compete in that division it's like all right in this draft it's like we can go defensive heavy and they get everything that they want so it's like hmm we'll see what they end up doing what kind of moves that they want but I'll go to Furman what are your take on this should they just get rid of Daniel Jones is he a bridge quarterback or is there another master plan that we're not aware of? I do feel like there's a master plan that a lot of people aren't aware of. And before I move on, I like to I have to agree with what Trevor said about uh, Daniel Jones, you know, being a surprise pick. He was a surprise pick in back in the draft, and everybody thought, "Wow, what, why did he get chosen over Dwayne Haskins?" But now that now, like when we look back. The, the flip is completely – the script is completely flipped. And Dwayne Haskins is now on a completely different team as a backup quarterback. So it's it's a completely different era now. And we've seen that Daniel Jones, despite his terrible season last year, he's still he, – he's the Giants are still sticking with him. Now, the only issue I have with Daniel Jones is that the numbers lie. So – during his rookie season, he did have 24 touchdowns and limited his turnovers passing the ball, but he actually fumbles the ball a lot and he always gets hits. He always gets, you know, when the pocket breaks down, he always takes those hits. He never looks to go out or figures his way out to move around the pocket and escape pressure. He always gives into the pressure and especially in these crucial moments, it's like Kirk Cousins. He always fumbles the ball. So, in my eyes, as a passing quarterback and pocket in terms of pocket awareness, I think Daniel Jones is like a Carson Wentz 2.0 because they have terror. They do have Carson Wentz does have good pocket presence, but you need to hold on to the ball. Actually, Jer he could also might as well call him like another Jared Goff. 
they all have the same issues. You have to hold on to the ball. It doesn't matter if you're a good thrower. If you can limit these turnovers, I'm pretty sure the Giants would love to have a lot of those possessions back. So with that being said, I also do agree that the Giants need a lot more weapons for Daniel Jones. He's not the perfect quarterback, but he definitely will play better if you do give him more opportunities to stretch the field as a quarterback. I see a lot of draft busts on their roster right now, like Dante Pettis and Evan Ingram, who is surprisingly, you know, very injury prone and also drops a lot of easy passes. You know, I, I think the Giants are in full rebuild mode right now because they only have, in my opinion, honest opinion, they only have two good players on their team, Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley. If Saquon Barkley was healthy last season, I do think that they will have a better result. But coming into next season, we did find, figure out something weird from Daniel Jones last year, and it's that he's one of the fastest quarterbacks in the NFL. Yep. So next season, if this Giants team is very is gonna, if Joe Judge and Jason Garrett wants to continue implementing this super run heavy offense, you're gonna have to have a dual threat run heavy offense. You're gonna have to have a dual threat quarterback, and your dual threat quarterback is Daniel Jones. You're going to have to train him hard, especially with cardio, so he can actually start running more and do more do more full full court sprints or something. You know, back and forth on the football field, run more suicides, make him make him earn those earn those cardio points and by the time the regular season's coming up, he's ready to run on the field as much as Saquon Barkley. You got to be you got to have that option offense for Daniel Jones ready out there in the and you know just Confuse the entire defense. That it works. It is a new era of quarterbacks that are mobile quarterbacks. If your offensive line can't protect you, you gotta do the rest yourself. So if you're Daniel Jones and if you're Saquon Barkley, you gotta have your own running games implemented in your own minds right now because you have no other options. And you know, it would be great if you if you add some depth in the receiving receiving end for wide receivers or tight ends, but. You got to mix in more of Daniel Jones running the football. And I feel like this actually will help their offense next season because if Saquon Barkley is able to play fully healthy and you have Daniel Jones, you know, as a really fast mobile quarterback, you're going to have a lot. The defense is going to have a lot of trouble, especially with such a weak division on uh, the NFC East, I believe. So, oh, sorry. Is this an NFC East? NFC East, it mm -hmm. is right. Okay, so yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be a lot of trouble for those defenses, especially Washington, who, who does have a good defense. But you know, Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley, you got trust me, you gotta start implementing your own run games. Yeah, because I guess at the point I'm gonna go with Ishmael's comment, where it's like the Giants could get Deshaun Watson and get rid of Daniel Jones, and they, now you have that mobile quarterback that you always wanted. And now it's like you have a, a fast quarterback and you have Saquon. So that could be something really interesting. They could give up draft picks for it, but I, I don't know if the Giants are going to be that, you know, really inclined. And then, you know, Daniel Jones to the 49ers, gentlemen. I, I, want you, I want your takes on that before we hop into the world of NBA. Isaiah, I see you're saying no, but I'm kind of curious um, your thoughts on Daniel Jones to the 49ers. Hell no. I would take Nick Mullins over Daniel Jones any day of the week. No, please. No. But I want to go to, uh, I think Ishmael had a comment earlier about the Giants trading for Deshaun Watson. Um, 
I don't think that could happen because the Giants right now have the 11th pick in the NFL draft. So they would have to trade that plus couple like a couple of more draft picks this year's draft as well as a couple of more picks in next year's draft as well uh, and right now in this year's draft they only have six picks in that this year's draft plus their first round pick so i don't think they have like the assets to be able to get a deshaun watson and with the texans you know they i don't think they will only want just draft picks i think they want a uh, a superstar player to go along with draft picks like they're asking for nick bosa with the 49ers i could see the giants potentially asking for saquon barkley in a trade for uh deshaun watson and that's just way too much to give up so i i i like the idea by ishmael but it's just um the giants just don't have the assets to be able to get deshaun watson and then Casey King has like, are you sure Isaiah on Jones two to 49ers? <laughs> we'll, we'll see what Furman has to I, say. I take Matt Jones over Daniel Jones. Oh, you, you're doing right, a man. Jones for a Jones. All right. Let's not have any Jones on the 49ers. Let's just keep it to that. You know, Matt Jones and Daniel Jones can have their own teams. Just don't don't bother us. We have our own system already, all right? I want <laughs> also, a Jones Super Bowl or an NFC Championship game. I want that. <laughs> Daniel Jones, you know, I have a lot of respect for him. Like I said, just stick with your team with the Giants. You are like Deshaun Watson. Just, just train your legs over the offseason, and you'll start to be like him. Deshaun Watson literally spent four years without an offensive line in Houston and put up record numbers. You can do the same thing. Just have his, the same motivation as Deshaun Watson. And plus, you have Saquon Barkley right next to you. You got the full advantage, Daniel Jones. I believe in you, man. Just stick with the Giants and just run the ball. Just run like crazy over the offseason. It's going to work. It's going to have a, a huge effect. And you're going to have a really great offensive game in 2021 if you start running more. All right, before before we get into the world of NBA, I'll read one more comment. Gentlemen, how about Jerry Jones of the 49ers? <laughs> He's going to buy the 49ers, gentlemen, and it's going to be a wrap. <laughs> Actually, that's a really good question. I don't know who's worse, Jed York or Jerry Jones. <laughs> <laughs> All right, gentlemen, let's get on to the world of the NBA. So as, as we're seeing right now in the world of NBA, Lakers are having some issues with injuries and Anthony Davis and all that stuff. But as we get closer to the NBA postseason, who's going to be the biggest threat for the Lakers? Is it going to be the Clippers or the Nets? Me personally, I'm going to go with the Brooklyn Nets because once they are fully healthy, you have it's basically watching this, a super team just being reborn out of like the ugliest way possible. It's like KD comes back so he can shoot the long three. Then you have Blake Griffin, though he's really past his, like out of his prime, but he can still hoop. You have James Harden, and you have Kyrie Irving. It's like the only good guy is like you know Blake Griffin. Everybody else is like a half of a villain at this point. <laughs> but Isaiah, I'll go to you. What do you think is the quote-unquote threat for the Lakers this year? Well, believe it or not, I'm actually going to go with the Clippers. I think the Clippers are the biggest threat to the Lakers. And the reason being is because the Brooklyn Nets, yes, I know they have the three superstars with Harden, Durant, and Kyrie Irving. But when you look at the Brooklyn Nets, 
what are we when we talk about the Brooklyn Nets? What do we talk about their weaknesses? They they don't play defense and they're not deep. They're not a deep team. I know they got Blake Griffin, and if they get you know Andre Drummond, then you know I'll change my opinion. But until then, I am rolling with the Clippers because the Clippers are a team that have the two superstars. Plus, they've got you know complementary pieces around them with guys like uh, Serge Ibaka, Patrick Beverly, who's a dog on the defensive end, and then they also have Lou Williams off the bench. Uh, they have Nicholas Batum, who's having a uh, a tremendous year this season for the Clippers, Reggie Jackson, uh, and the list goes on and on. The Clippers are, you know, dogs defensively. They are suffocating defensively when they have all when all the pieces that they have are going right. And the Brooklyn Nets, yes, they got the three superstars, but they just don't really scare me. You know, they have all the offensive firepower, but they can't shut anybody down. You look at, um, I know, like the game. Prior to the All-Star break, they were kind of getting it together on the defensive end. But before that, I mean, they were giving up 120-plus points a game. So the Clippers, for me, I think are the biggest threat to the Lakers because they are, like they actually play defense, they have the offensive firepower, and they have a loaded bench that could make it uh, troublesome for the Lakers. And the Lakers' biggest weakness, in my opinion, is the fact that is perimeter defense. That's their biggest weakness. If they can get a P.J. Tucker, that would be amazing uh, to help shore that up. But right now, when you look at the the Los Angeles Clippers, they have Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, two snipers on the perimeter that could definitely hurt the Lakers. I know Duran and uh, Harden, Irving, those guys, they can hurt the Lakers too with the per, on the perimeter. But it's just the lack of defense, and it's the fact that they're just not as deep as the Clippers that make me push the Clippers over the Nets. And Furman, what about you? Who do you feel is the threat for the Lakers? And, you know, is it the Clippers, the Nets, or probably somebody else that we haven't mentioned? But, you know, as me and Isaiah were kind of split, I got the Nets and he got the Clippers. So who do you got? You know, I'm very surprised you guys included these two teams in, you know, as the Lakers' biggest threats. Because for me, it's actually neither of them. Neither of these teams are the Lakers' threats. I actually have two other teams that are the threats to the Lakers. But I'll start with the biggest threat. And that biggest threat is the Phoenix Suns. Because <laughs> the Phoenix Suns, you saw what they did in the bubble. They went 8-0. and and now look at their how they're doing in the second half of the season. They're constantly getting into win streaks after win streaks. And they just recently beat the Lakers without even trying to score. I know that Lakers team didn't have AD or LeBron. But he, their main, the Suns' main scorer, Devin Booker, didn't even have to do anything. And neither did Chris Paul. And they still you know, took care of the Lakers like it was nothing. The Lakers have a lot of problems right now. And that is one of... One of the biggest reasons is what Isaiah mentioned. They have terrible perimeter defense. You cannot stop Devin Booker's mid-ranges if you're not going to stop the rest like Chris Paul, Michael Bridges, Dario Saric, and Jay Crowder You know, out there. If, you're, if they're going to keep shooting threes, you know, you're, you're going to have to find a way to rotate faster and, and stop these guys. I don't think the Lakers' defensive system is capable of doing that. And I think... In my opinion, the Lakers, if they play against the Suns, 
all the Suns have to do is just keep passing the ball around until someone gets open because they're pretty much all shooters. And they got eight great defenders like Aiton and Michael Bridges, you know, in the peri- in the post. If LeBron or AD tries to do something, Montrez tries to do something and bring pressure in the paint, that's not going to happen that easily. So the Suns are a pretty complete team. I think this team is definitely going to beat the Lakers like in the playoffs if they have a series. The second team that I have in mind that is the biggest threat to the Lakers more than the Nets and Clippers are is the Utah Jazz. The Utah Jazz, they – they speak for itself of what we've just mentioned about the Lakers' biggest weaknesses. The Utah Jazz are like the new Golden State Warriors because they have the possibly one of the best perimeter shooters in NBA history. You have Jordan Clarkson riding off the bench as a sixth man, and he literally has been shooting lights out from everywhere. No, and not a lot of teams have been able to stop him. If he goes off, if Jordan Clarkson goes off, it doesn't matter how this, how bad the starters are playing for Utah. It's just going to be a tough matchup. Donovan Mitchell, obviously, you know, really hard to stop. But they have a lot of other – the rest of their players are pretty much snipers. They have Mike Conley, uh, Bogey, and Joe Ingles, all these other guys, as well as Jordan Clarkson. They're just going to keep shooting threes. And so far, you know – I know the Rockets back then, they tried you're doing the live and die by the three, and it didn't work out. But so far, Utah, every single game that I've seen them play, they've been doing that, and it's been working every time. And if you have Mitchell and Gobert and, you know, driving in, that's going to give the Lakers a lot of trouble and a lot of different players to focus on. So I don't think the Lakers are capable of doing that with their current roster right now. So it's going to be a difficult matchup. So lastly, I, I like to talk about the Brooklyn Nets because... The Brooklyn Nets, they are probably the most complete team with the most stars on their roster. So the reason why I'm saying that they're not able to contend with the Lakers because is because I 100% guarantee that by the time the playoffs come in, one of their stars are going to get hurt. 100% guaranteed. You've seen this throughout the regular season. Either KD gets hurt, Kyrie gets hurt, and they have Blake Griffin now. Let's count him in, but... Blake Griffin, this guy is not going to play at his highest level, even if you have him in your roster. In fact, I don't think he's going to play as well as DeAndre Jordan in the in the Brooklyn Nets' current situation. Blake Griffin, Blake Griffin used to be a really good, you know, aggressive you know, player that loves to drive, loves to draw contact, but he's turned into a stretch five, and you've seen him in, in the Pistons. He's lost a lot of he's lost a lot of athleticism and a lot of vertical abilities. He's not going to be as shifty or as aggressive as you expect him to be. He's most likely going to be used as purely, merely a just a you know perimeter shooter at most, because that's what he's been doing so far with you know ever since he went to the Pistons. And plus, he's very injury prone. You know, he, if he goes to the to the Nets by the time the playoffs come, I guarantee you, either Kyrie Irving, KD or Blake Griffin, one of these guys are going to get hurt, 100% guaranteed. So, you know, my, my condolences my condolences go out to James Harden, actually. You know, you, you left yourself, you know, you left the Rockets to the Nets, but it's going to be a tough situation for you because you're going to have to deal with all your teammates getting hurt. It is so, you know, hopefully they figure something out and, you know, it, it's going to be, if they really are going to be fully healthy by the playoffs, by the time the playoffs come, that's going to really surprise me. That means the Nets have done a really good job protecting their players' health. 
but that's going to take a lot of load management, in my opinion. So the Lakers, I feel like the two biggest threats is just going to be the Suns and the Utah Jazz. Yep. I think think those are really good. I think it's the Suns and the Utah Jazz, like you said. I think they're probably better than the teams that we have listed here. But like for Brooklyn, they if they can stay healthy, they're going to ru- run the East. And I feel like we could have an Eastern Conference Finals with like the Miami Heat and the Brooklyn Nets. But I see Isaiah has a question, so fire away, my friend. The Lakers got to do all in their power to prevent Lamar- uh, not Lamarcus Aldridge, Andre Drummond from going to the Phoenix Suns. If he gets traded to the Phoenix Suns, I think it's over. I think that the Phoenix Suns, if they get Andre Drummond, I believe they can knock off the Lakers. Because you look at what Furman mentioned, you know, the Phoenix Suns with Booker and Chris Paul, the Lakers don't add any perimeter defenders, then Booker or Paul, one of those two guys, or even both of those two guys, they're going to go off in that series and probably score at least like 30 to 40 points every single game. And then you talk about the other pieces, Mikel Bridges, uh, Dario Saric, um, they have other, like DeAndre Ayton as well. If they can get, I don't think even think they need Andre Drummond, but if they can get LaMarcus Aldridge, who we're going to talk about next, if he goes to Phoenix or if Andre Drummond goes to Phoenix and the Phoenix Suns have, you know, two great big men to go along with uh, Booker and Paul, the Lakers, I hate to say it, but I think the Suns would overtake the Lakers. And what do you think, um, Furman, with on? With Andre Drummond going to the Phoenix Suns, is it enough to beat the Lakers? I agree. I think it's actually not just enough, but it it will be more than enough to beat the Lakers because they already have DeAndre Ayton. If you put Drummond in the bench, that's definitely going to give the Phoenix the Lakers a lot of trouble against Phoenix Suns because their roster is pretty good right now, and they play really good defense. They're you know they they're really good at protecting the paint and the and um, in the perimeters, you got some guy like CP3. He's going to run their offense. He's going to try to set guys up to get open. So this this team is going to give the Lakers a lot of trouble. And you don't want – if you're the Lakers, you don't want any any good players or decent players being added to the depth of the Phoenix Suns roster right now because it's going to give Lakers a lot of trouble. And Isaiah? Like I said in the previous programs that we had, this – Suns, Lakers, that's going to be your Western Conference Finals. You can book that right now. We'll see because we've seen teams are good in the regular season and fall short in the postseason. So we have to keep a close eye on it. But I think like when I said when the Suns got Chris Paul, I'm like saying they needed a floor general and they got themselves a floor general to give ease some pressure off of Devin Booker and look how, look how he's been flourishing because of that. So it's like a great add-on by them and now – they can get Andre Drummond. It's like, it's a wrap. They, they've got some more lethal weapons and the floor general will take care of business as Chris Paul does and knows how to distribute the ball. Cause remember when he was in with the Clippers with like Blake Griffin with Lob City, we saw how easy they made like the work of just passing the ball, creating alley-oops and getting people excited about basketball. Well now just what, look what Chris Paul can do with the, Phoenix Suns and all the assets he has there. It's going to be something interesting to see in the postseason for sure. And Isaiah. I don't know how the salary cap works and if they can fit this in, 
But Trevor Furman, imagine if the Suns get both Aldridge and Drummond on the buyout market and get them on like minimum contracts. You could just, it's a wrap, man. It's a wrap. Casey King is going to have to go with the um, Brooklyn Nets over the Clippers because the Clippers get way, like they'll get to the second round and just fall short. They have to prove them wrong, but you know the kipper, the the kippers, <laughs> the kippers. <laughs> That's their new nickname. The, the kippers. Until they can win a playoff series. All right, we'll call them the kippers. We'll change the C to a K and call them kippers. Okay, but you know, for Casey King, so for the right now, the real threat to the Lakers is the Suns. And they're really going to need AD back because this is going to be how LeBron, I guess how I look at this, even if they, if LeBron doesn't get AD back, this is going to be, I'll probably say, one of his toughest road to the finals, I would say, out of the teams that he's been on. Though, like the Cleveland team and coming back from 3-1 is difficult. I think this one alone is, I would say, is a lot harder because – once you beat the Phoenix Suns, don't know how that series would be. Maybe it goes to a game six. Even if it's just LeBron James by himself and going up against a healthy Brooklyn Nets team, that's a game seven in itself. If he if LeBron James can pull it off. If he can't pull it off, then it's 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 all right. But at the same time, it's like if he pulls it off, I think it changes the whole discussion with the Michael Jordan scenario where it's like LeBron James took down another super team by himself. And it's kind of improves his legacy, in my opinion. But that's a discussion for another day, gentlemen. But we'll continue in the world of NBA that um, LaMarcus um, Albridge from the Spurs have agreed to part ways. So I will go into I wouldn't I don't really have too much thoughts on it because I don't really keep track of San Antonio. So I'll go to Isaiah. Well, about this move, um, I was a bit surprised by it because I know the Aldridge and the Spurs had agreed to like an extension a couple of years back, and he's from Texas. And I thought that, you know, with the Spurs actually contending this season, surprisingly, like who would have ever saw coming into the season that the San Antonio Spurs would be like fifth or sixth in the Western Conference standings at the end of the first half. I thought Aldridge would want to stay in San Antonio and have a shot at possibly making it to the postseason. Um, so I was a bit surprised that uh, the news broke a couple days ago that um, Aldridge and the Spurs are parting ways. It was kind of an awkward fit, too, because the Spurs, I think they're, they're more trending towards a rebuild uh, than – uh, competing for a championship and LaMarcus Aldridge right now, I believe is like 34, 35 and he wants to compete for a championship now. Like he's okay with going to the playoffs, but I don't think he is willing to go to the playoffs and lose in the first round. No, he wants to go to a team that's able to contend for a title right now. So um, I get the move in that way, but I was a bit stunned by the timing of that move. But in terms of which places are, you know, which places are logical fits for him, um, I would say Boston because I think Boston, they definitely need more bigs. They're really undersized right now. Um, another team uh, I could see is uh, the Miami Heat. You know, if the Miami Heat add a 
you know, at him with Jimmy Butler and Bam out of bio in their front court. I mean, that's going to be an electric front court right there. They can beef up uh, the paint. And then another team, uh, I want him to go to the Lakers really badly because, I, as you know, I'm a huge Laker fan, so I'm being biased, obviously. But the Lakers, they need another big. You know, Montrezl Harrell, he's too undersized to play center. Uh, Marcus Gasol, that experiment, even though I love Marcus Gasol and I've wanted him to be a Laker so, so many years, uh, and he finally came to the Lakers, and I was so ecstatic that he came to the Lakers. But that experiment hasn't worked out. The Lakers need another big or two to help them show up that front court and they can get Aldridge like on a buyout great but I don't think he's headed for a buyout because I think Greg Popovich is going to try his best uh, trade LaMarcus Aldridge and there's just a lot of interest right now so I don't see him getting to the, the buyout market but that's another place I would definitely want Aldridge to go to and Portland like Chardon mentioned Portland if uh, you know Aldridge he played in Portland for like the first 11, 12 years of his career. It could be a great homecoming story for him. And he can go there, compete with Dame Lillard and the Trailblazers. And I think he would have a big role for them as they go down the stretch. So I would say right now for me, my top options for Aldridge would be Boston. Uh, and then I would go with uh, Portland and then the Lakers as some destinations that are logical for, oh, and also Miami as well, that are logical for LaMarcus Aldridge. And Furman, what about you? Where do you think all Aldridge should go to and his way him for him to leave the Spurs? Can we see him join Brooklyn and make that even worse? But <laughs> we'll see what happens. But let me know what your thoughts are. Well, I think, He's like 35 right now, so he's already way past his prime. I think if I'm Aldrich, I'd be looking more of like a backup role for like I put him in more of like a Rudy Gay type of situation. Um, if he has to find a good team to be a contender, I think this is this is the exact right time for him. I don't feel like Aldrich should be, you know, head hunting for better contracts right now or a, a contract extension with another team. I think he should just find a minimum contract, get with a good team that is a championship contender, and then hopefully get that ring. He want if I'm Aldridge right now, I think the Spurs is de is de has definitely made a really good move to take him out of the game because Aldridge he's he's getting old, and the Spurs have to rebuild. They're not going to have the same roster every year from now on. They need to figure out how to get their pieces moving and grab new players. So. Aldridge, I think the best destinations for him are the current contenders. So any of the current championship contenders, if he's able to get, I'd say at least, you know, preferably a backup role if he, if he's really taking it seriously, I think that would fit him best. So one of the teams I'm, I would focus on for him is definitely the Los Angeles Lakers. I think if you have Montrez in the backfield, I don't really think. I don't really think Aldridge is fit to play center since he's more of a stretch player. But I think adding size to the Lakers definitely helps a lot because it will help. Aldridge will be a benefit to, you know, shooting, being able to shoot the ball. And he's also able to get boards if possible, given his size. I think Aldridge should just think about getting a ring more than getting playing time. So. Lakers is one of the de destinations. Another destination I see him going to is 
definitely going to be the Miami Heat because Miami Heat doesn't have size right now. And, you know, they only have Bam Adebayo as their starting center, who's definitely strong, but, you know, he's not, he's very undersized. They do have some backups, like, I'd say, yeah, the Miami Heat, they do have some backups, like Kelly Olinick, Myers Leonard, but Kelly Olinick, he, you know, he's very similar to LaMarcus Aldridge's role. And I think if LaMarcus Aldridge takes over that role alongside Olinick, you know, I think Crowder was also part of this last year. Just become, you know, a duel that can be a perimeter threat and also get boards. I think that's going to help the Heat a lot this year, especially, you know, the, especially since the Heat have been struggling, you know, defensively as well in a lot of these late game matchups. I think, you know, to build that momentum, um, at least for the East, Aldridge should definitely focus on fighting a roster with the Heat. And then before we leave the world of basketball, Kirstie Wilson says Aldridge should go to Phoenix. Uh, that would be interesting to see because there's teams are definitely on the rise. And I know what Furman said earlier, joining a championship contending team. And what we've said tonight, ladies and gentlemen, that, you know, Phoenix could do it. They get the right pieces in the next couple of weeks and doing that playoff push. But we have to, you know, wait and see how that unfolds. All right, gentlemen, we are now transitioning into the world of college sports. And I will go to Isaiah about the new college football overtime rules. Isaiah, can you tell the fans what some of these rules entitle? Sorry about that. I was muted once again. But so today... Brett McMurphy, who is one of the premier reporters in all of college football, um, he reported that there's a proposal right now by the College Football Rules Committee. Uh, I'm trying to pull it up as we speak, but it has to do with overtime in college football. So Furman, Trevor, and our audience, uh, listen to this. Uh, this is some very interesting new rules that they're proposing for next season. So according to Brett McMurphy, the new overtime rule proposal in college football for next season would be starting with the second overtime. Teams would be required to go for two uh, after they score a touchdown instead of kicking the extra point. And also from the third overtime on, we will no longer have, you know, teams each starting from their own 20 or starting from the opponent's 25 and they get to march down the field and score a touchdown. And then the other team gets the counter. No, we are going to have where teams will only have two point shootouts. It will be like hockey. It will be two point shootouts for each team. And I guess whoever um, whoever gets it and whoever or whoever gets the most in the two point shootouts would win that game. That is the new overtime rule proposal in college football. Me personally, I absolutely hate this rule because I think that this is ruining the integrity of college football. I think that this is ruining college football. Uh, people this is turning college football into hockey. Like nobody wants to see, you know, your shootouts and stuff like that. No, we pay hard-earned money to go watch teams drive down the field to score touchdowns. Like I, I understand maybe if like if, if it goes past seven overtimes, then fine, you can implement the shootout rule because then the teams will be like really, really fatigued. But really, to do it 
at the end of uh, or to do it in the third overtime. It makes no sense whatsoever. I want to see actual football instead of just seeing like a gimmick on the football field. It just makes no sense whatsoever. But Trevor Furman, uh, what do you guys think about it? I think it's just terrible. And I know I've heard commentators say it over and over again, the college football overtime isn't right. And no one has really even done it right. Even people saying the NFL's overtime, it's not perfect either. But like, I like the college football aspects. Like you start at your 25, you go down and you drive and then the opponent gets an opportunity to do it. But then it's like, you run into the issue of going a lot of back and forth and there's really no way the game can end into a tie. So it's like you're scratching your head and like saying this overtime rule doesn't make sense. But at the same time, like after the third overtime, you're going into a shootout. I would rather be after the fifth overtime, you go into that shootout like prologue. Because like I remember the time, I think it was Texas A&M where it was into like the sixth or seventh overtime. And I'm like looking at my phone. It's like, why is this game still going on? And it's like almost 1 a.m. my time. Like it did not make any sense. So I'm like saying what needs what needs to work, and I don't think we're ever going to find that happy median where all the college football fans are going to agree upon it. But I want to go to Furman. Do you like this new potential rule where it's like you have to go for two and then like it becomes a two-point conversion shootout after the third overtime? I like the first part um, of this new rule, but I don't agree with the second. So... I do like the idea of having two point conversions instead of extra points because it does it does feel a lot more difficult to convert a two point conversion versus just a simple kick. It, to have it in the second overtime instead of the third I think would definitely increase the chances of having shorter games and it'll be less likely that we'll see you know another game like Texas A&M versus LSU. I do have one minor argument against that, and it's that the kickers are obviously really bad in college football. And what excites me the most is the kickers shanking the extra points and then costing their team the game. Like, I hate saying that. I hate saying this so much, but it is actually quite hilarious and sad at the same time. <laughs> but going back to the point, I do agree. Um, I think they should have two-point conversions way earlier than what is what is currently happening right now so that the game pace is a lot faster you don't have to watch multiple overtimes you know and make it you know more realistic more like the nfl where you have less time to really work the field and make good decisions so but i however i don't agree with the second half of this rule because in the second the second half of this rule calls for a two-point shootout now, the two-point conversion shootout to me doesn't make any sense because like, this is a really difficult thing to accomplish, which is, the you know, first of all, this is not going to... If people act like two-point conversions are really easy, in my opinion, this is not easy. This is, this is why the game should end faster. But if you're going to have two-point conversion shootouts you know, earlier in the third overtime, I believe, in this proposal, it's going to be terrible. You're... I think this is going to extend the game even more than what is what has originally been going on right now. Because if players, if teams are forced to have two-point conversion shootouts, it's less likely that you know a team might be able to get it get it through. If both teams are not able to get the two-point conversions, you're going to have more and more overtimes, and it's going to stack up and waste even more of everyone's time there. So 
in my opinion, I think they should stick with the first rule and just implement that starting from the second overtime moving forward. And I think that would definitely speed up the game, especially, you know, seeing a game like Texas A&M and LSU. We definitely don't want to see that happening again. And we want, you know, we want a more complete performance. And I think two-point conversions, you know, at the end of a touchdown is should definitely be that uh, that game decider moving forward instead of a shootout. Yeah, I agree with you, Furman. It's just there needs to be a way to capture a game where it's like we can have a tie in college football. But then if there's a tie, I just picture the playoff committee not being able to recognize this tie really well. and People can get upset about it. So I think there should be no way that, you know, a tie should be prevented, be ever creating college football. But we'll see how things progress. Some comments from our viewers. Um, Casey King's not a fan. He would rather have them play the whole length of the field. Yes, but at the same time, it's like you can run into the issue where teams get stacked up and if I have to run the whole length of the field and there's no clock on it, then it's just like you're logging this overtime and there's going to be a lot of drives. So it's really hard to justify a full length of field if there's no clock going through the entire possession. Unless you play entire full length quarter, then that's the only way I feel like a full going up and down the field would make any sense. But then again, you run into ties and we all know how the community feels about losses to certain teams in the, in the world of college football. And um, Ishmael is not a fan with the new rules either proposal. So he said, stop messing with it. If it's, if with, even if it's not broken, just like the MLB. So it's like, yeah, no, I don't think we're ever going to find it. Nobody wants to want, want, nobody wants football to be like hockey. And then the college football should just make, make the OT rule like the NFL and how, I guess, how they do in the NFL. Like I said, Ishmael, I don't like the tie aspect because we all know how subjective the college football committee is about picking it. And just imagine if there was an, an Alabama that has a tie compared to a one-loss Pac-12 team, and they get left out because Alabama has that better tie to, let's say, an old Miss. You know, it wouldn't, it's not pretty, Isaiah. Trevor, are we sure we don't want ties? Because imagine, like, if I'm, like, a sorry team playing Alabama and I somehow get a tie against Alabama, that's, like, a great moral victory right there. I would be like, oh, I accomplished it. I tied with mighty Alabama. But it's a nightmare for the playoff committee, and we it's already bad as it is in how we all complain about the selection committee on Selection Sunday. But I see, Furman, you want to add on to that. So i like to add on to what Casey, King, and Ishmael said. So I like sudden death in overtime because I want that game intensity. I want you know both teams to feel the pressure as well as the fans. If you're going to implement the 10-minute overtime rule like the NFL currently does right now, it does feel kind of boring. And also, you do have the same intensity, but it's not as, you know, it's not as intense and the pace is not as crazy as the college football's pace is currently right now. So for college football, it, you know, it kind of reminds me of like a penalty kick in soccer. You know, I kind of want to see that happening when both teams just keep getting at it and literally every score matters. You have to score a touchdown. 
you have to get that two point conversion no matter what. You know, if you have that type of mentality, that's how you're going to win. That's the same mentality as a penalty kick in soccer. And that's what makes football so enjoyable to watch because you want to see that intensity. You want to see your own team go through that and get the victory and sudden death. So this is why I really love the college football's current overtime rules right now. Other than the fact that, you know, this new proposal is trying to shorten it and make it a shootout, you know, earlier, I think making, you know, having a two point conversion after a touchdown is definitely, you know, it kind of balances it out and still keeps that same level of intensity for both teams. Yeah, I, I agree. I think like right after the second overtime, maybe third overtime, you go, you have to go for two. And like, I think it changes the pace a little bit, but then it's like you run into like the fifth overtime. It's like, it comes to that two point conversion shootout. So you don't have a long game, like I don't know, Texas A&M and LSU. But now, gentlemen, let's move on to other things that happen in the college world. You know, I'll, I'll go to Isaiah to get us going on for this segment. All right. So as you guys know, the college basketball conference tournaments are going on right now. Um, Big Ten tournament. I believe, Trevor, if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, it's being held in Indiana or Indianapolis right now. Correct. Yep, it's being held in Indianapolis. But So today we had a, uh, a very fiery moment uh, in the Michigan-Maryland game where Michigan head coach Juwan Howard, during a timeout, charged at – Maryland head coach Mark Turgeon during a like during a timeout they exchanged words and it was just a very heated moment between those two coaches. Jawan Howard was uh, tossed from this basketball game after giving two technical fouls. Mark Turgeon was just given one, but we do have the clip of the uh, the moment between those two coaches, and also we got the interview of what happened afterwards between those two coaches. But let's go to the clip of the escalation between Michigan and Maryland from this afternoon. Well, we had big time fireworks while you were away. Technical on Mark Turgeon, a double technical on Juwan Howard, who has been ejected from this game. And he was incredibly animated. But Turgeon remains, he just had one technical. But here is what happened. You see Juwan Howard starting to yell out something at the other side. And then there was some jawing back and forth between he and Mark Turgeon. Look at this. I mean, it, it got really testy, Sean. It, it did, and the officials did a good job of stepping in before what was a bad situation. It could have gotten progressively worse. And th now... What is always a tough job if you're an official, especially at this level, this became even more so because you're going to have to make sure that what happened as we went to break doesn't seep over. You look at the effect of the assistants that had to keep Juwan Howard back. And he was hot. You see Daryl Morcell was in the mix as well. That was Larry Serrato ejecting Juwan Howard. And here is the coaches after the game. Coach saw that I was out of the box. He telling the referee, look at my feet, I'm out of the box. And I'm like, oh, come on, man. This, this is what we're doing today. You're worried about my feet being out of the box. And so he said to me, Juwan, I'm not going to let you talk to me. You don't talk to me ever again. And he charged at me. And that right there, you know, like, when, you know, I don't know how you guys 
was raised, but you know how I was raised, you know, by my grandmother and and also by Chicago, because I was raised by Chicago and I grew up in the South Side. When guys charge you, it's time to defend yourself. I stood up for my team. I stood up for me. And um, there's a rumor out there. I said something about the banner. All I said is, "Don't talk to me. Don't talk to me." There's nothing about a banner. Never backed down. I just stood there and said, don't talk to me. That's it. Well, Trevor, let me say this. Let me start off with this first. Um, the, the question that we have, you know, for, for this topic, I believe, is do you have a problem with what Jawan Howard did? Me personally, I don't because, you know, things get heated, you know, heat of the moment. And... I actually think I actually applaud Jawan Howard for what he did because for like first of all first of all Mark Turgeon I think he what he's saying is absolutely baloney. Uh, he said that he didn't say the thing about the banners, the whole like the banner comment, but people that were courtside tweeted this out that they heard him saying to Jawan Howard after things got heated that hey uh, you shouldn't hang your Big Ten regular season champion banner because your banners come down, you know, with the whole Fab Five. I don't know if you guys know what the Fab Five thing where uh, they had the Fab Five banners up and, you know, it came down because the Fab Five got into some hot water with the NCAA. So he was referring to that. And that really set Juwan Howard off, um, you know, and it should because he was part of the Fab Five and it was a very ugly moment in Michigan basketball history, but you know I think that Mark Turgeon is just be is just BSing when he's saying that he uh, he didn't say that. I really believe he said it. I would rather trust the sources that were down courtside instead of the head coach just saying that he didn't say that uh, when he was you know part of the escalation. But Jawan Howard, that's what he's supposed to do as a head coach. I mean that's what a good head coach does when another opposing coach says something bad about your team you're supposed to go out there and defend your team like a manager does in baseball when um you know a call doesn't go the batter's way who gets ejected it's not the batter or the pitcher it's the manager that takes it for the team and what Jawan Howard did he took it for the team I applaud him for doing that and I think his players um, should also applaud him for doing that because that is what a good coach does he takes it for the team he does that he had his players back and I'm so proud that he's the coach of the Michigan Wolverines I have no problem whatsoever with what Jawan Howard did I, I see your point Isaiah there's really no issues here in the moment big game but injections are critical in these types of tournaments. If the game was a lot closer, let's say two-point difference and a minute left in the game, that could unravel Michigan's chances of getting into the dance because of that action. So it's like you got to be careful in the heat of the moment and realize how game, how close the game was. And losing your head coach in something like that, Maryland could have made it a surge later in that, in that point in the game and rally back, and now we would be looking at Michigan – being eliminated from the entire playoffs, even though they had a fantastic year this year. But, you know, that could have easily been undone in a heartbeat. But, you know, they were lucky, and they got the dub today, and now they face the Ohio State Buckeyes in another classic showdown. So it's like we will we'll butt our heads for a little bit for, you know, the next for the next couple of days, and then we'll go back to being buddy-buddy. But now, let's, let it is, I guess, before I got to double-check the comments. 
Um, but you know, let us move on to our pigskin pickums. So, ladies and gentlemen, the world of spring college football is in the air still, and somehow I have not watched a single game. I think I think it's just like I know it's the time of the year; it's spring. I, I'm more focused towards basketball. But is that what teams do we have for us today? Trevor, I don't even blame you. I haven't even watched a single game as well. I'm focused on college basketball right now. Like, no disrespect to the FCS teams that are playing. You know, we we totally have your backs. But right now, I'm just watching, you know, Michigan, Ohio State. It's conference tournament time. Uh, Selection Sunday is on Sunday. So, uh, man, those things right now take priority. But the game that we've got for this week of Pigskin Pick'em, we've got the Valparaiso Crusaders and the Butler Bulldogs going at it. This is going to be both of these two teams' first game of the season. Uh, but, yeah, it's their first game of the season. Trevor, who do you got? Butler or Valparaiso? You know, I got I got myself a prop. Though it's not it's it's not a bulldog, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the dogs, Georgia Bulldogs on this one. Not Georgia, the Baylor Bulldogs. Yeah, you know, you know, I'm just gonna go with Butler, Butler Bulldogs. I'm gonna go with it. So you know, I, I got my nice plushie of a dog to go with it. It's a, it's the target dog, but you know, I need a prop because that's this is what we've been doing on this show for quite some time now. It's like my Lee Corso pick, so I I try to have a prop to help me out. Isaiah, who, who are you going to go with? It's really tough to judge these two teams because they haven't played a game. So you can't look at their body of work and you can't even look at what they did last season because most of their players that they had last season are gone. So, oh my gosh. I, like I told John Alcorn a couple of weeks ago, for pigskin pick-up for FCS football, we're just going to have to probably pick like – whichever school has the best uniforms or whichever school plays in a state that has our best our favorite foods in it or something like that so i'm gonna go with butler and it's not because what they did on the football field it's because i like their basketball team i'm a fan of their basketball team and i just like you know um butler as a school as a whole so i'm gonna go with butler beating valparaiso all right, two for Butler. Let, let's move on to our power five. <laughs> All right, gentlemen, it's we're getting to the hour and fifteen minute mark of. Tonight's episode, we have reached the Power 5 segment. It's dealing with bold predictions during the NFL free agency. I'm just going to classify as bold predictions in the NFL offseason so we can get trades and anything else going to go down. So I'll go to Isaiah. What are some of your bold predictions in this NFL offseason? All right. So before I get into my Power 5, I'm going to get jump I'm going to jump in and give an honorable mention first and that is my guy Nick Mullins who I have here on the 49ers you know Nick Mullins jersey right here I got to pull that out where, where are you I sending him Nick Mullins this jersey will be worthless by the end of the free agency uh-huh. period 
Nick Mullins, ladies and gentlemen, will not be a San Francisco 49er. Instead, he will go to Seattle to be a Seattle Seahawk, and it will make me He will go to Seattle and be a Seahawk, and it will make me absolutely cringe and make me cry seeing Nick Mullins put on a Seahawks jersey. And the reason being is because the Seahawks love the 49ers players. You can ask Furman this. Uh, the Every time like the 49ers release a player or let a player go into free agency, who always picks them up? The Seattle Seahawks. Half of the Seahawks team has been on the 49ers before, so I expect Nick Mullins to be a member of the Seahawks. Plus, Seattle has a vacancy at the backup quarterback position, so Nick Mullins will fill that void. Um, that's my honorable mention. Number five, on my list, get ready for this, Furman. Get ready for this, 49er Nation. Mitch Trubisky will sign with the San Francisco 49ers on a two-year contract, and he will be the backup to whoever, uh, either Jimmy Garoppolo or, uh, you know, whoever is that new guy for the San Francisco 49ers. But Mitch Trubisky will be the backup quarterback for the Niners. That is my um, number five on my list, number four on my list, like I said, on the free agency special last on Monday with myself, Jonathan Mathis and Sammy Sharp, the Jacksonville Jaguars who have a hundred plus million dollars in cap space, who just got urban Meyer to be their new head coach and are going to get Trevor Lawrence in the upcoming NFL draft. They will land Shaq Barrett, the defensive lineman, of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who had a monstrous season this season and also in 2019. He's going to go to Jacksonville to help the Jaguars improve that pass rush. And also, Jacksonville will not only get him, but they will get Juju Smith-Schuster as well. They will throw a ton of money at Juju, and they will bring Juju down to Florida, down to Jacksonville, down to Duval to pair up with Trevor Lawrence to give Trevor Lawrence a great weapon to throw the football to. Um, I believe that was, yeah, that was number four on my list. Uh, number three on my list, get ready for this, Trevor. Or not Trevor, Callan. Get ready for this, my man. The Chicago Bears will trade for Jimmy Garoppolo from the 49ers, and they will give up a second-round pick to do so. The Chicago Bears, Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy, are in desperate need of a quarterback. They, I think they're going to strike out on Deshaun Watson. They're going to strike out on um, you know, Russell Wilson and all these other quarterbacks out there. So they will have to settle with Jimmy Garoppolo. They will give up a second-round pick because right now, if you listen to the reports, the 49ers asking price for Jimmy G is extremely high. They're not going to deal him until they get the right offer for Jimmy G. And the Bears, you know, they're desperate for a quarterback. They're going to give the Niners something really out of the water, out of the water, and they're going to blow the Niners away with a second-round pick for Jimmy Garoppolo. That's number three on my list. Number two on my list is. Deshaun Watson will be a San Francisco 49er. Deshaun Watson will get traded to the Bay, and the Niners will give up three first-round picks. Plus, I believe the Niners, unfortunately, will give up Nick Bosa in order to make that trade happen. Uh, 
I got Watson going to the Niners as my number two. And number one on this list, Trevor, I think you might want to get those GIFs ready because this one's going to really shock all of you. Remember how last week I said that it's a matter of time until Russell Wilson gets traded? Well, number one on my list, ladies and gentlemen, Russell Wilson will get traded to the New England Patriots. Yes, Russell Wilson, I believe, will be traded to the New England Patriots to pair with Bill Belichick. I know they just signed Cam Newton, but if you look at his contract, you can easily get off Cam Newton's contract. I believe it's only like a $5 million base salary plus uh, $9 million in incentive. It's not that much. Russell Wilson, he's disgruntled in Seattle. Seattle reportedly has been wanting to, uh, you know, they've been, you know, fielding trade calls. They've been, you know, trying to, or they've been trying to move off of Russell Wilson, it seems. New England needs a quarterback. Russell Wilson just seems like the perfect New England quarterback. He's humble, doesn't say a lot on the field, and wants to be coached hard. He's the perfect guy for Bill Belichick. Plus, Bill Belichick and Pete Carroll, they go back uh, a long a long time uh, from their days both in the NFL uh, in the past. So I got Wilson becoming a Patriot, and we're going to see Russell Wilson Josh Allen, battle it out two times a year, and it's going to be so much fun. Furman, how bold are your takes? I got very biased takes, so it's not very bold at all. <laughs> well, it's going to be pretty crazy. I have, you know, it gets further up into the list, but it's pretty, pretty mellow mild at first. It's not going to be too much. So at number five, you know, it's it's not a really a, a big prediction, but I do feel like Jameis Winston, he's got to find a new home. And I think the only place that he could actually find a decent job is the Washington football team. They recently gave up on Dwayne Haskins, but Winston, you know, he's a veteran. He did have similar behavior issues that Dwayne Haskins has faced. But if Ron Rivera decides to trust a guy and at the same time release Alex Smith, I think it's got to be Jameis Winston because bringing Jameis Winston back as, you know, as a veteran can definitely bolster Washington's offense because Winston has the experience. If you give him you know, time to adjust to you know, their game, I think their, you know, their running game is you know, sensational. Um, I believe, what's his name? Was it Gibson? Yeah, so he is really, you know, I think he's about to have a breakout year next year. And the only time I've saw I've seen Winston succeed in Tampa Bay is when you, you if you put him in a situation very similar to Baker Mayfield's last year. If you have a very strong running game to back up Winston and you prevent Winston from throwing too much every game, you're going to have a very balanced attack and it's actually going to work out really well. The reason why I say this is because Washington has good defense. They got Terry McLaurin. They got Antonio Gibson. These guys are really, you know, if you're just going to keep running the ball, I'd say 60 to 70% of the time and let Winston just make, you know, make play action throws, but, you know, base entire offense on the run and let put less shoulders on him. It's going to definitely help, you know, the Washington's football team a lot next year. I think they have a lot of potential to make it at least into the postseason with their current roster if you add Winston. So 
Num- my number four is also not too much, but I think Richard Sherman, he is going to sign with the Los, An- Las Vegas Raiders to replace LaMarcus Joyner, who recently got cut from that team. I don't really know too much about the Raiders, but I know they do need better secondary help because all every single time they lose against they lose on defense is usually a very, very lackluster or bad decision making from the secondary. I think they need a veteran who knows how to, you know, really play off the zone, you know, be smart with decision and play calling. And I think Richard Sherman can definitely help, you know, the secondary a bit, help them figure out the right moves at the right time when they're the game's on the line. You need that type of veteran corner to kind of, kind of help you out on that. So an honorable mention I could put a uh, place right here is that Patrick Peterson can also go to the Raiders if he has that veteran ability to help them out. So that's my number four. Number three, this is going to get a bit crazy, but I believe that Aaron Jones and Curtis Samuel are going to sign with the Carolina Panthers and team up with Christian McCaffrey and basically lead them, lead the Panthers into a team that has a similar situation as the Browns. They have a du- they're going to have a dual running back system with McCaffrey and Aaron Jones splitting reps. They're both great at uh, you know as a running back and a passing back. And you have Curtis Samuel in the backfield. You're basically going to have three hybrid players providing a huge threat on offense. I think this is a really good system. If you look at what the Browns have done, you know Nick Chubb. He can't really. He, he's really bad at catching the ball, but Kareem Hunt basically you know, cancels that out. But the Panthers, if their offense incorporates all three of these guys, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. And I can't wait to see you know, this actually you know, happening. And I'm very excited for that. So for my number two, I've got Eric Fisher, Hunter Henry, and... Juju Smith-Schuster going to the Cincinnati Bengals. Joe Burrow is going to get a super stacked team next year, except his offensive line. His <laughs> offensive line is going to be the only weakness in that team, and they're going to win the division over the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Cleveland Browns, and the Baltimore Ravens. Joe Burrow is the future of the NFL, and once he gets back from his ACL injury, once Eric Fisher gets back from his torn Achilles, it's over. The league has completely shut down, at least in the AFC. <laughs> Furman, did you just say, did you just try to sneak in there that the Bengals will win the AFC North next season? Did I hear that correctly? I said they were going to make the wild card, but... If you add these three players to the Cincinnati Bengals, they will win the division. Juju Smith-Schuster is going to hold a grudge against the Pittsburgh Steelers, and he's not going to leave this division. He's going to show Big Ben why he's still doing the Corvette Corvette challenges every week and why he is very disrespected. And Chase Claypool is not going to like that attitude from him. So... I'm going to expect the biggest rivalries to come out and I and I'm going to see, you know, Joe Burrow, Juju Smith-Schuster, Hunter Henry, T Higgins and Tyler Boyd going off in shootouts against all these three teams, Browns, Ravens, Steelers. They're going to have a hard time against the Bengals next year if these three players come over to that team. Trust me. So, with that being said, I have a more realistic number 1 as my power 5 for the 
the free agency predictions. So for my number one prediction, I have a three-way trade. And just like what Isaiah said, this quarterback cannot get away from the free agency without a move. And that is Russell Wilson. He's going to get his own desire. He will get traded to the Chicago Bears in a three-way package where Mitchell Trubisky is going to the Jets and Sam Darnold is going to head over to the Seattle Seahawks <laughs> as their future franchise quarterback. Yo. Russell Wilson hates that team so much that something has to happen. And you've seen the craziest moves come out this year. You've seen Carson Wentz go to the Colts with an exchange of an incentive sort of pick. If Carson Wentz plays enough games, you will get a first-round pick for the Eagles. You've seen Jared Goff having the craziest move, in my opinion, of the free agency, somehow getting traded for Matthew Stafford, two first-round picks. I believe two first round picks and a second round pick. You know, I, I don't know, man. That's those trades are. I think these trades are getting completely out of hand, but for sure, I know for sure that if Trevor Lawrence is guaranteed to go to the jets and Russell Wilson, he hates his team that much that he needs to leave. You cannot avoid this situation. Russell Wilson going to the Chicago Bears with Matt Nagy. Apparently, they've got this really good relationship. They like each other. I have no idea. I have no clue why because their offensive line is just as bad as Seattle's. But Mitchell Trubisky, you saw how his tenure went. It's not good. If he's going to the Jets, that's the perfect move for him. Sit behind Trevor Lawrence and learn from him. Sam Donald going to Seattle. You saw you didn't see much potential from him, but people are still saying, oh, he can still lead a team. You know, Trevor Lawrence is just a bigger prospect. So just put Sam Darnold to Seattle, and that completely solves the problem. That also solves the problem for the 49ers. We're not going to have to worry about Seattle for two two games of the regular season because Sam Darnold is not going to do anything for them. 49ers are going to get two free wins every season as long as Sam Darnold stays in Seattle as their quote-unquote franchise quarterback. So those are my top power five picks of the free agency. Wow. Wow. Isaiah, Isaiah, what, what you got for us at this point? I, I, Trevor, I think whatever you say, it's not as going to be as wild as me and Furman's predictions because we've just blown everything out of this world already. Hold on. You didn't get to mine yet. I think I have one that will surpass them all. All right. Let's, know, hear, it. Let's, I, let's hear it. Let's hear it. All right. So, you know, starting off, we're going to start off with something reasonable. Richard Sherman goes to Tampa Bay and gets another Super Bowl ring, which seems reasonable to do. Because Tampa Bay is stacked, and it's just like they're just acquiring assets at this point. So it's like Richard Sherman has been will go to his his third Super Bowl and win it, and have it with two different teams. That's fair. So the one I've been teeter tottering for the longest time is Matt Ryan. Where does this man go? I was contemplating. I've been sitting and idling for way too long on this guy. I'm gonna say he's gonna go to Tennessee. They're gonna get rid of Ryan Tannehill, and they're gonna be able to finally have a quarterback that can pass so, they don't, so the Titans don't become one-dimensional anymore so they can be a lethal weapon. So they have Derrick Henry, Matt Ryan, who can throw it to average wide receivers, and they actually can be a solid playoff team and actually get past, like, the wild card round and the divisional round. What? Yes, yes, that's true. Now we're going to get even, even more spicy. No, wait, Trevor. I got something to say. <laughs> what? No, that is not going to make Tennessee better because Matt Ryan <laughs> – 
he has no offensive line in Atlanta. And Ryan Tannehill, I got to give this guy 175,000% credit for actually surviving under that terrible offensive line who only is benefiting off of Derrick Henry. Ryan Tannehill gets hit in literally two seconds like Jimmy G, but he still gets the ball off to A.J. Brown, and he is literally doing everything he can to put them in the postseason. If you have Matt Ryan, this dude is not fast enough compared to Ryan Tannehill, and that's just going to hurt the Tennessee Titans. They're not. It's over. They're not going to win the division at this point. <laughs> but who's left in that division at that point who doesn't have like weapons? It's open season. It's Matt Ryan's for the taking. He can't beat Tom Brady. What's left of the Saints and Carolina? He needs to leave. And the team that needs him is the Titans. That's how I see it. But I will continue to advance on into my bold takes. Number three is OBJ gets traded to Arizona to build up a wide receiver core that is nasty and make it awful for your 49ers in general. And the Browns will probably get in some type of asset, get some draft picks to make the Cleveland Browns even more lethier and make Baker Mayfield into a Super Bowl MVP quarterback so I can make that a bold take finally. I will speak it to an existence because last season I, I I speak that he could become league MVP. He almost beat Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs in the divisional round. I was so close at getting the title of MVP, but I was dashed. My dreams were eradicated. So I've been talking about that one for a long time, Joe. So I'm thinking OBJ will get traded. I've been saying this now at this point. OBJ will get traded, and he's going to get traded to Arizona, and Arizona's going to give up some good draft picks for Cleveland, and Cleveland's going to get something even better to make them control the AFC North. Number two, we have Jameis Winston for Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson will go to the Saints and make the Saints even lethier and having just more power that they never, never had. Because Drew Brees, yes, was a short quarterback. Russell Wilson is not a big quarterback either. But it's just Russell Wilson can be more mobile than Drew Brees. Get out to the pocket. Sling it. They already have a solid running back in Alvin Kamara. And they have, like, Michael Thomas as well. So it's like now you have Russell Wilson to elongate plays. Get out of the pocket. Make something happen versus when he was in Seattle. Just running all over the place trying to make things work. It's still going to end up working out great for Russell Wilson if he ends up going to the Saints. And then the number one will make you laugh and make you cringe. It's like, how did you put this as number one of all the stuff? We have Nick Mullins going to the Denver Broncos for Drew Luck. <laughs> We're swapping two bad quarterbacks, and no one will see it coming, and we'll just have backlash and like saying, why? Why are you doing that? Why are you trading Nick Mullins for Drew Luck? This is the worst trade that we've yes! seen. Yes! 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 And- John Alcorn, that <laughs> is for you if you're watching. Nick Mullins for Drew Luck. Make it happen, Big Fan. You get ahead. And and then that that is my Power Five, gentlemen. I will read some of our viewers' Power Five. And some of their takes and all that stuff. So we're going to start with Kiersey Wilson's honorable mention in this preseason. Again, not preseason. I would say off-season takes is her honorable mention is the Cowboys make the NFC Championship game the first time since '95, and we will go through a Power Five. So the Niners struggles regardless of who's the quarterback is. Sorry, Isaiah. 
Wilson Wilson will get traded before the NFL um, trade deadline. We have the Jacksonville Jaguars make the wild card in Urban Meyer's first season as head coach. The Chiefs will bounce back big time from their Super Bowl loss. Um, and the Tampa Bay's Buccaneers do not repeat the Super Bowl. Good takes. Now we have Edward. He has Nick Mullins is no longer in for San Francisco. Um, I guess it would be J.J. Watt no longer for the Texans, which is true. Barrett, Newton, and Garoppolo. Don't know where they will be going, but, you know, we have that. We have Casey King, and his prediction is Mitch Trubisky will end up being a Niner starting QB. Jimmy G gets traded back to the Pats despite re, despite re-signing Cam Newton. Sam Darnold will get traded to the Bears. Marvin J- Marvin Jones gets signed with his Rams. And my prediction, Russell Wilson will get traded to the Raiders for Derek Carr. We have Ishmael's pick. We have Frank Go- he Frank Gore goes back to the 49ers, which would be a nice homecoming. Cardinals go with Juju. That's another lethal weapon. That'd be interesting to see. We have Broncos signs Jameis Winston. And we have Sam Darnold going traded to you know the Raiders. And his last one is the Panthers will trade for Russell Wilson. Another good one. We have an honorable mention from Casey King. Is Juju Smith is going to go with the Jets for the money, and the Raiders. And I guess Raid. I guess that's Raiders. Higgins goes. Higgins <laughs> and signs with the Chargers, aka Rendell's Renegades. <laughs> Another honorable mention is um, Wilson gets traded to New England, and then. I'm guessing it's, this is probably Steven. Um, these Wilson trade predictions are too wild, and that will do it. And, John, you have joined us. Are you going to join in your in this bold yes. hot takes? Let me make this very <laughs> abundantly clear to you. Nick Mullins, I don't want you as a quarterback. <laughs> well, you're not wanted here with the Denver Broncos. Number two, if I had a free agency move, I could say Odell to the Patriots. Because I understand that Odell, like, yeah, you talking about injuries or character issues or whatever, but a guy to help mentor him to set him straight, without a doubt, is going to be Canon New England Patriots. I understand people like, oh my gosh, they weighed eight and eight last year. Well, they have a lot of money against the cap next year. And this last one, though, because I know y'all have to wrap it up. Matt, okay, for number one, sorry, Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson's not getting traded. All the stories are, oh, he's going to get, it's about views, clicks, and shares. He has a no-trade clause, $40-plus million against the cap next year. The Saints can't afford that. No team can afford it. It would be interesting. But Matt Ryan to Tennessee, it goes back to that, though, where Matt Ryan is a boring can't cousins. <laughs> because as much as we love to, oh, he didn't have the offensive line, it's just Matt Ryan, the mental capability. And if you don't have the offensive line here, it's not going to work over there. I just came on real quick because – you said Nick Mullins for Drew Locke. I had to get home from work. I can't believe what you said. I guess this is even worse. Ezekiel Elliott to the New York Jets. <laughs> it, it's a bad. It's, it's like a really, really bold one. But hey, with free agency, man, we never know. I mean, who expected DeAndre Hopkins on the first day of free agency to be traded to the Cardinals? So. Uh, I've learned- How about new? 
I've learned to expect the unexpected. So if Wilson trade breaks, I mean, at this point, it is what it is. Well, let's make it even worse. Russell Wilson goes to the Cowboys. <laughs> hey, look, Jared Goff and... Stop it. Get some help. Jared Goff and Wentz, they got... They had the worst trade deals, and it somehow went off. And I, you can inst- and imagine Dak Prescott getting a forty million dollar, forty million a year deal with the Cowboys after literally tearing his, like break dislocating his ankle and going through a terrible injury. These are the craziest free agents signings or trades I've ever seen. So anything can right. happen. You're right there. That's why I go back to before. I know y'all. Sorry about this. Is that that trade right there, Furman, ruined any other potential trade for huge franchise quarterbacks? Teams are going to be asking a lot more for Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson will not get traded. And this last thing, Nick Mullins, I don't want you with my team. I don't, John Elway, I know you're, <laughs> hello, how's it going? Do not trade for Nick Mullins. That's it, Furman. Expect that jersey in the mailbox in two weeks. <laughs> you don't even know where I live or my address. So if you find it, um, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> but gentlemen, let's move on to our final thoughts. All right, we had some bold takes for the NFL free agency debacle and offseason. And I, I think we're all at the point where it's like we're late into the night. We've been one hour and 40 minutes into the show. So I think it's a great way for us to bring this episode to a fantastic close. So, Isaiah, what are your final thoughts? Well, we, before I get into my final thoughts, you know, I want to thank uh, Stephen, Casey, Chardot, Ishmael, Edward, uh, along with Christy Wilson, um, and I think that's all the viewers we had for tonight. Yeah, I think that's all. But I want to thank everybody once again for tuning into the show. You know, it was so much fun. Uh, you know, talking about the Cam Newton deal, talking about how uh, the Phoenix Suns, I believe, are the biggest threat to the Lakers. Uh, talking about, you know, uh, you know, our bold, bold, bold free agency moves. Uh, free agency is coming on Monday. It's going to be so much fun to see all the things that happen on Monday. I already anticipate that there's going to be a lot of, you know, bold stuff that we just don't know or that we don't foresee coming right now that's going to happen either on monday or tuesday but want to thank everybody once again for tuning in it was an excellent show can't wait for tomorrow because you know ohio state michigan you know it's game kicks up or game tips off i believe in about 14 hours from now so after this show i'm going to go uh, head to bed go get myself a nice seven eight hours of sleep and then afterwards just wake up early in the morning go to ihops get myself some nice buttery buttery milk pancakes with bacon and eggs and sausages and some french toast and then a cup of coffee and get ready for the big game and watch michigan stop ohio state trevor i want you to put that camera on me right now i want you to put that camera on me if we could Ladies and gentlemen, hear me out. I do not fear the Ohio State University. I'll say that one more time. I do not 
fear the Ohio State University. Ohio State has not impressed me one bit in either of their two wins against Minnesota and then Purdue. They got lucky in both of those two games. They are now going to go up against a Michigan team that is far better than everybody else in the Big Ten. Good luck, Buckeyes, because you're going to need all the tissues in the world, Trevor. You're going to need a box of tissues as well, Trevor, because all the tears are going to be coming down when Michigan just stomps Ohio State and gets revenge for all those losses in football. I can't wait, man. It's going to be a great game. Go Michigan and, you know, go Jawan Howard. Kick Ohio State's butt. Well, that escalated so quickly, ladies and gentlemen. I know you're going to be eating some crow tomorrow. That's all I'm going to say is that that's what you're going to be getting because your bold predictions and your curse will live on. And thank you for jinxing the team up north for me. Furman, I'll go to you. Final thoughts. My final thoughts is just, you know, thank you to all the viewers and also you guys, you know, for making this a really fun show. Um, I think the power five that we did today was amazing. That was wonder a wonderful idea. I can't believe I got to hear everybody's craziest takes as well as give, you know, some of my own. I know these were crazy, but you know, anything is possible in the free agency and I just can't wait to see everything continue to unfold. And this, the next couple of months in the NFL is going to be so exciting. And last of all, you know, I hate to bring this up, but I will make this an unofficial statement for now. I'll make it unofficial. But I did watch Trey Lance's Pro Day today. And I just hope that Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch, you know, makes the right decision in the first round of the draft in 2021. Please do not draft Mac Jones or Kyle Trask in any rounds. It doesn't matter which pick you take them in. Just do not draft any of these two quarterbacks. And please draft Trey Lance or trade up for Justin Fields. If we get these type of players, if we get these two quarterbacks that are mobile, it is going to change completely change our game on offense. So I will repeat, please Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch, do not draft Mac Jones or Kyle Trask. I am begging you. I have this crazy gut feeling that it's going to happen, but please do not do it, please. And that's my final thoughts for this week. I concur with that statement. And Nick Mullins is overrated, ladies and gentlemen. And then the Vikings will win free agency as Stephen H. Wang will rue his Vikings on for more. <laughs> but we will wait and see what happens in free agency, ladies and gentlemen. But here... On the MI6, we have, you know, just a couple of, you know, announcements that our March Madness hot take bracket is going to be revealed on Pi Day, which is March 14th. So make sure you get your nice slice of apple pie, Isaiah, or humble pie after the team up north loses tomorrow. Um, then we have St. Patrick's Day special on Monday, which is March 15th. And then we have, you know, a week off. I guess we're taking a little some time off. So March 16th through the 19th, there's no MI6 shows because it's all gearing up for our one-year anniversary on March 20th, ladies and gentlemen. So make sure you tune in so you can celebrate with us as we celebrate one year of MI6 and look back on all of our lunacy, hot takes, favorite moments, cries, debacles, takes, you name it. It will be all covered on the one-year anniversary special. I just want to 
thank all of our viewers who supported us from the very start of this program, even from the early stages of MI6 as we were forming this network and having all these fantastic people. So I want you all to stay safe, take care of yourself. You know, we'll see you all, I guess, you know, sometime in the near future. Take care, everyone, and so long. Yeah. Three C's, my yeah. Whoa, hey, yeah. Whoa, hey. Whoa.